This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. Amen. Again, thank you for being here and for uh, worshiping with us this morning. I didn't say this, and I don't need to say this. Many of you don't know, but uh, Daryl Ingersoll is with us this morning from Michigan. So the Michigan part is kind of rough, but... uh, um, if you don't know, Daryl was a, uh, just such an encouragement and a servant at Oasis for many, many years until he felt that uh, God was taking him back home to his family and to do things back there. And so it's good to see you, Daryl. Uh, eternally grateful for the investment into our children over the years that you spent here serving in the children's ministry. But uh, I don't know about you, but for us, it was a normal November day. It had been about two years of marriage. We found ourselves at the hospital where I sat beside Mindy and Mindy was holding my, or I was holding Mindy's hand and uh, she was moments from giving birth. All I could do was encourage her to the best of my ability and Mindy squeezed my fingers as though I thought And this is still a joke in our home because I made the statement. Don't ever make the statement, guys. When you make the statement, you're done. I made the statement. She was squeezing my fingers. I had my ring on, and I thought my middle finger was about to fall off. Later, years later, I said something about that, and she said, Are you really going to make this statement? I was giving birth, and you're complaining that I was squeezing your finger too hard. So, to this day, we make the joke in our home about that, but... Nonetheless, Madison came with her full head of hair, making our family three. We became parents. A child was in our hands. What do we do now, right? First child comes. Leading up to the child, you've got it all figured out. You know how things are going to happen. What do you do now? Of course, you, you do what you do, you swaddle them, you love them, you put them in the car, you take them home, you lay them on the bed, and for a long time, you just stare at them. And when their finger moves, you're like, oh, look, they did something new, right? The squeal comes, the new noise comes, and you're like, oh, did you hear that? And you're like, Like, there wasn't really anything. But we are so excited, but yet in the same moment, what are you? You're scared to death, right? At any moment, you're thinking that the chaperone is going to walk through the door and guide you through this process of what you're supposed to do with the child. And then if you grew up in church, you kind of, you remember back to those days, you know, sitting in a church service just like this, and we're supposed to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to which you think at that point, what in the, how do I do that? What does that look like? Becoming a parent is tough. And in our society, I believe there's been a steady regression of many things and a decline within the home inside of the family. I'm not saying that to be a downer. I'm not saying that, but just the reality of where we are. There's been a regression. We have not gone forward in the upward swing within the home inside of the American family. Sometimes some people would say, well, if the, if the Bible was back in schools, if prayer was back in school, if they only wouldn't have allowed legalization of, 
of abortion, and we, we go to some of these big, broad things, right? If only my whole life, I'm 38 years old, my entire life I've heard we need to put prayer back in school. And we can scream and shout that we need to put prayer back in school, but here's the reality. Prayer and God's Word aren't so, it's not a problem that prayer isn't in school. The problem that the prayer in the Bible is not in our homes. I've seen it. You've seen it. People will stand on their their little soapbox. The prayer needs to be back in school, but yet their sorry carcass hasn't been in church in six months. Right? So we, we go to all of these things and we look at that as the decline of the, of the culture, the decline of the family. This series, Redefined, we're looking at God's purpose for the family. Taking a look at what society is saying and then ultimately getting back to the Word of God. The African proverb that was made famous by a former first lady, it takes a village. I would say this, our society and the American culture has wholeheartedly taken of that. We have just embraced this thought. And so with that, we have embraced the reality that the educators are supposed to educate our home or our children. That this person over here is supposed to do this, and this person over here is supposed to do this, and this person over here is supposed to do this, and this person over here is supposed to do this. And my job is to provide and to protect and just have a cool little house that these guys can come back to. And we've taken this thing and we've allowed it to be. And guess what's raised many children? Roseanne, MTV, I Love Lucy, The Brady Bunch, Modern Family, The Simpsons. And that list can go on and on and on, right? Media, music. and get, But what do all of those things do? They're always pushing the envelope, right? If we were to go back several generations, I wasn't there. But I've heard it, right? When Elvis came on the scene and Elvis started doing his little hip thing, people were like, whoa! Man, we would die to have an Elvis on stage just doing a little hip thing today. Because what would we say? Oh, back in the good old days. Well, the reality was, entertainers have always pushed the envelope. But that's who has raised our families so much so in our culture. And so as we look at all of these things, none of them, I'm not saying that because those are bad things. I'm not, that's not where I'm going with this series, or this series. But when we look at all of these things and we begin to think of our Christian culture inside of our churches... We're losing. Eight of ten children that grow up in a Christian home will never step foot back in church after their sophomore year of college. That's a scary statistic. And I've said that a couple times over throughout this series. But eight of ten. How about this stat? It was a bar in a study that showed that 85% of born-again believing teenagers do not believe in an absolute truth. That's scary. That's scary. See, we, we are losing the next generation. 
And we've been losing the next generation for many generations, which is why I feel so passionate. I believe that I've been so convicted about this topic of the family that we need to face the reality that we are losing to the schools, we are losing to the media, we're losing to sports, we're losing to all of these things. And I'm not saying that all of those things are wrong and bad, but we in the church are losing to them because we have allowed them to raise our children as opposed to us doing what we're supposed to do inside of the home. And we're losing, we're failing. I want to read this statement. If we are to experience multi-generational faithfulness, we must come to a place where we throw off the shackles of our culture and live in the fullness that is found in Christ. God's Word says a lot about the family. A lot. And it may not specifically say the family X, Y, and Z. But it speaks of all of that. It speaks of the leadership and the headship, and it speaks of all of those things that we should be doing. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, which where we'll be today, it says, teach them diligently unto thy children. If you read that passage, which we will in a moment, it says something specific. In thine house. And we have come as a culture to a place where we allow everybody else to do that because that is their job, and I'm just going to have some morally good kids. As we continue, and I believe that quote goes right into what we've been saying for the last three weeks with our little statement that I've used. If our families are to show forth the eternal love of God, we must have a biblical foundation. We have got to get back to the place inside of the church. Let's not worry about them out there that don't know Christ as Savior. Let's worry about our church. We have to get back to the place inside of our churches where God's word is the foundation of our home. And so this morning, we're going to continue to build on that. We looked at it uh, several weeks ago. We started with just building a foundation. What is that foundation? Last week, we looked at it with uh, um, the different roles that God has designed for us. And then this week, we're going to begin to, to build on all of those things, looking at how we are discipling the family. If you would, Deuteronomy chapter number 6 is where we'll be, and then we'll bounce around to several different places, but the bulk of our sermon this morning and what we're going to look at is Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse number 1, it says this, now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go, or whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life. And that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may, be in, that ye may increase mightily. As the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. 
And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine forehead, and they shall be as a frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would use your words to speak. As I said last week, I pray that this isn't me getting on a soapbox, but Father, that it would be your words that would speak to the hearts of those that sit here. And God, as this has been a conviction of mine over the last several weeks, studying it more and more, I pray that it would be a conviction of others, that our hearts would be convicted as to how we lead and how we guide and how we direct our families. Father, whether they're children or in our home, maybe the children are grown, maybe we don't have children, regardless of where we sit this morning, I believe with everything that this passage speaks to all of us, that your word would be the truth, the foundation of everything that we do. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. We're going to jump right to verse number four, really, and start from four and go out But the first thought is this, there is one God in this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Exodus chapter 20 in verses 3 through 5 says this, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness or of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Exodus chapter 34 and 14. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Isaiah 42 and verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven image. This cannot be overstated, that the family without God as the foundation cannot handle the onslaught from the enemy that is around us. Our focus, our everything in our homes, everything in our lives has to go back. We have to get to the place that we would say, there is one God. And that is the, the God of me personally, but that is the God of my family. That is the God in my home. There is one. I read several passages of Scripture. Thou shalt have no other God before me. God is a jealous God. Here's my thought that I had personally. I wonder how jealous I make God in my life and in my family. Where there's so many things going on around me that he is saying, I just just want to be the God in your home. I just want to be the focal point of everything that you do. I don't know about you, but I've always grown up in a home where there was always scriptures around our house i'm glad if you have a poster or a picture or something in your house that has scriptures on it many of them say what as for me and my house we will serve the lord god is not asking that we put pictures upon our house walls that say scriptures those those are though those are amazing things god wants it to be the heartbeat of everything that we do in our home have you ever walked into somebody's house and you're like whoa i didn't know you had the bible anywhere in your life Have you ever? I've walked into people's homes and I've thought, I didn't, I would never have known 
that there would have been, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord on your wall. And I'm not saying that as to be nasty. I'm just saying, oftentimes we put those things up, but it's not who we are. It's not what we live. God's Word says that He is a jealous God. He is the one God. My, my, my challenge to you in this point this morning is, we have to get to the place that we would say, no, there is one God in my home. There is one God in our homes. A lot of our problems are this. We do so many things that are good things. We engage our children. We teach our children. We coach our children. We cheer them on as they engage in sports. And we do all of these things. And many of them are very good things. But those are the same things that become the gods in our homes. And they run our lives. And they run our families. And God is just saying, hey, I'm, I'm here. And unintentionally, we have taken God off the throne of our homes and we've said, sports team is God. Dance is God. Music is God. Gymnastics, karate, whatever those things are. And it's not an intention that we do to be ungodly, if you will, but we teach our children worship. You will teach your children. You will show worship in your family. Whether you have children in your home or not this morning, you show worship in your family and in your home to those that watch you based on what you put in priority inside of our families and inside of our lives. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. It's a passage that's very familiar and then we'll move forward. But it says this, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another, in the fear of our God. Man, I would ask you, is that a passage of Scripture that is being lived out in your home, in your personal life? Take the home out of it. Is that a passage of Scripture that is real inside of our lives? Are we walking circumspectly? Are we walking carefully? Are we understanding that people are watching us? I have four children. All four of those little eyes are watching me. Yesterday, for the first time in my parenting life, my child got to sit with me while the police pulled me over. Shh. It was, I was, I'm like, ah! It was one of those ones where you know you can't, there's nothing to argue, there's nothing to say grab the stuff, pull it out, give it to the gentleman. He was super nice. He was cool. The bad part, he was a Michigan fan. Um, I had my Ohio State hat on. After it was all done, he was like, so you're a Buckeyes fan, huh? And I'm like, yeah, where are you from? Michigan. I'm like, ah, you. So that's why you gave me the ticket. It had nothing to do with going way over the speed limit. But here's the reality. Here's, we, we laugh and we joke. Our kids are watching us. 
And I don't know how bad of an example I am to my children as I drive. I imagine all of us are bad examples to everybody when it comes to the behind the steering wheel. But I try to be all right. But at any rate, we are being watched. Do you know that your children are watching what you say? They watch what you watch. Hey, you know what? This is a, we'll wait till the kids go to bed. Then we watch these things. There's certain things that we get, but at the same time, we have to be careful. They pick that stuff up at a very young age. Our six months and our one-year-old children aren't dumb. Oh, they don't understand. No, they do. They watch us. It says that we must, as we read through that passage of Scripture, that we would walk circumspectly, uh, not as fools, that we would be careful, that we would be wise. And it says redeeming the time. Listen, I say this and I will continue to say this. We are to be good stewards of our time. If you don't schedule your time, your time will schedule you. And you will go, oh, what happened to all of that time? I'm a firm believer you set a time for your kids to go to bed and you don't let your kids sleep in until four in the afternoon because that's just what they wanted to do today. You train them. I am training my children to be adults, to be responsible, and to be scheduled in their time. We train them just like we do with every other, or we should do with every other area. We have to be, why we are redeeming. We don't have a lot. We don't have a lot. My kids don't need 24 hours of sleep tonight. So they'll get up tomorrow. And they're going to go to bed tonight. But I don't want to go to bed. That's okay. You're going to bed. We set that. We are teaching our children all of those things. We need to plan our own days. Or is our schedule as adults so busy that our children are just, well, I'll deal with them when I can. Again, our children see those things. We need to grab a hold of our schedules. We must understand that it says the, the will of the Lord. This is the million dollar question as a pastor. I'm really trying to figure out the will of my life. Can you help me figure out the will of my life? Can you help me figure out the will of my life? I'm just seeking for the will of God in my life. Let me help you with this. I'm going to use our core values to help you understand the will of God in your life. The first one is this, that we would know God. If you want to know the will of God in your life, it's really not secret. God is not up there going, ha, 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 one day they'll figure it out. I'm like hiding it over in the corner, right? No, here's the will of God for your life. I'm going to help you. Know God. Read your Bible. Study. Pray. Seek the face of God. Don't seek the things of God, seek the face of God. If you want to begin to understand the will of God, begin to know Him. Begin to walk with Him. You say, what does that mean? That means I'm going I'm to do what I can. I'm going I'm to learn to know Him, and as I know Him, I'm going to desire to serve Him. I'm going to desire to be in God's house and, and to know Him with other people. I'm going to desire to give. I'm going to desire to do a lot of things together with people. So we're going to know God, we're going to walk with God, and naturally, as we do those things, it's sharing Him. And listen, I will promise you, if you want to know the will of God in your life, begin to know God, and you will find yourself going, wow, I didn't realize God had that plan for me. Just stop. 
Stop and spend time with him. Dads, you want to lead your family? Stop and spend time with him. I don't know what I should do. Stop and spend time with him. God says what? If you seek me, you will find. If you feel you don't have the wisdom and the understanding, what does God's word say? Ask. Do you know what I don't do enough? I don't ask. We've got to do those things to know the will of God. These are our core values at Oasis that we would know, walk, and share. And I believe with everything in me, if you were active in these things, God will completely show you all of those things. And he speaks of, of being yielded to God. In this particular verse, it says being not drunk with wine and all of those different things. But literally, this is yielding our, li- our lives to God, yielding ourselves to God, as it says there in, in Ephesians. And if I'm going to make the realization that there is one God, I'm going to yield everything to him. And I'm going to seek him. And I'm going to walk circumspectly. I'm going to do these things to make sure that he is the one in my life. That he is that one. Listen, and that's, I don't want to say this in whatever way, those are simple things. How can you do that in your own home? It's prayer time. It's Bible reading time with your children. It's church time together. It's all of these things that we are doing not to do it. I've been there. We have four children every single night. We sit up on the couch and we pray together. You know there's probably more times than we should that I could say that I'm proud of that you do it just to say you did it so that you can get to bed. Kids, would you just sit down and be quiet so we can pray and go to bed? Right? Maybe it's only in my home. I don't know. I don't want to come and pray. Fine, then just go sit over there. We're going to pray and go to bed. But how often that we do some of those things and just it's, eh, there's no real intention behind it. The first thought this morning, one God. The second thought is we continue to go through this passage of scripture in verse number five. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. That we would love God with one love. God's word in Deuteronomy goes on to say the love God with your heart, soul, mind. Christians, as we desire to lead our homes, we have to realize that there is one God and then personally love him. In life, in in the life of a believer, love is an act of the will. We choose to relate to God and to other persons in a loving way, no matter how we may feel. If I am a Christian How I relate to people ought to be out of love. Out of love. As I know him and set him as the king of my life, if you will, out of that comes love. Christian love simply means that we treat others the way that God would treat us. Ephesians chapter 4, what does it say? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath what? forgiven you why do i treat you that way because god treated me that way and he said to do it to others love isn't simply some feeling love is an action god so loved the world that what he gave his only son to love god and worship and serve him is the highest privilege we have and to think that he has commanded us to love 
He is inviting us to the best. Our love for God must involve the totality of who we are, all of our heart, our soul, our strength. Love with your heart. That is that inner man. All of us, we, if you like sports, we've all seen different things where somebody has done what? You're down by X amount or somebody gets hurt and they come back into the game and we say, oh, what heart. Such heart that they had. Man, the will that they had to win, the drive that they had to win, that's all that that is. That my heart, the inside of me, we do it in sports. I did it. I wasn't some superhero, but I remember pulling a muscle in my back, playing basketball. Silly. I would go and I would play basketball. And then I would sit on the sideline for a few minutes and stretch so my back wouldn't tighten up. And then I'd go play. And then I would stretch. What is that? That's the will. That's the, the desire. We have that. That's all that... This is a love, this is a, an inner desire that we would love God with everything that we have, that they would, we would lay it all out there. Love, yes, it has emotion, but that is not all that this is. Love leads to action. There must be action that comes with our love. This is silly, this is very simple. But if we're going to say that we love you, which you ought to say in your home and to your children and to your spouse and to those that are around you, we better act it. Sad but true, far too many people have said I loved you and never backed it up with actions. Because we, we're so selfish, we're so worried about us. We're so worried about us. We must show love in time and action. Love is often equated in Scripture with keeping His commandments. What is that? It's an action. We're reading in Deuteronomy 6, if you were to go to chapter 7, in verse 9 it says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, He the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him, and keep His commandments. In John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. In verse 21, it says something very similar. In John chapter 15, it says again, something to that same effect of loving God and keeping His commandments. Loving and action always go hand in hand. Always go hand in hand. In talking about discipling our families, we must show forth the love of God to our families, but to everybody else. What are our kids watching? Do the kids watch us say that we love God so we go to church? Or do the kids watch us say we love God and they see us reading our scriptures? They see us praying. They see us doing those things. Are they watching us say that we love God and saying that we need to do all of these things for Sunday morning, but while we come home, we're talking bad about the neighbors? We're talking bad about the, the, the teachers in school? We're talking bad about some of these things? You talk bad about the pastor. He went too long. He was this. He was that. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. You talk bad about whoever it is, the guy that was sitting three rows across from you. Our, everybody hears those things. That's the action of love that we have to show forth, that one love of God. It's not a feel-good thing. It's the reality. This is If we're going to truly disciple and love and do what we're supposed to do inside of our families, we have to 
take serious what God's Word tells us to take serious. Because everybody around us is watching. Are we showing love the way that God has called us to show love? I would say this, I believe showing forth love is a contagious thing. I believe that. When I show that in my family, I believe that builds whatever it's going to build inside of our home, and it builds an avenue and an an access to love in our home and to those that are around us. We have to guard those things. We have to watch those things. And in discipling and being all that we have to be in our homes, we must have one God. We must make it that He is the God. We must show forth that love to the only true God. And truly, if we're going to do all of these things, we must teach our children from the Word of God. If there's anything that might have been convict, or the most convicting as, as we'll go to and kind of close out this, series, this sermon this morning is this last portion of this message. Just one word. If there's one thing that I would say may have completely, completely be eliminated from our homes, it's the Word of God. And we might say, well, we take our kids to church. Good, but is it in your home? I believe in many regards it's nearly completely eliminated from our church or from our homes. Other than coming on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it is that you come. Our culture and our society has embraced this whole thought of a professional will do all of these jobs. So we rely on professionals to do everything for us. Right? Who teaches your children? Professionals. Who fixes your house? A professional. Who does everything? Professionals. So in our culture, in our mindset, we have come to a place where we would say, if the professionals do everything else, then the professionals will teach our children the Word of God. The professionals being the pastors and the church. So therefore I can say, all right, that guy is over there. He's doing that aspect of raising my child. We send him off to school for six to eight hours a day. And the educators will educate my children. And then we send them over here and we say, well, I want them to play X, Y, Z or sport. And so we send them to the sports person and we take them to the best coaches and to the people that are the professionals and the experts in those things. So we send them over there and they're going to teach them how to do that. And then we come over here and we say, well, you're going to teach them how to do this. And in our homes, my professional experience in my home is I'm going to love them. I'm going to provide for them and I'm going to protect them inside of my home. And we allow everybody else to do their professional thing. And maybe I'm taking it too far. And maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. I don't know. I really don't believe that I am. But we have eliminated the Bible from the home. Because I'm the professional and I'm supposed to teach you. They're supposed to learn Bible in Sunday school and in children's church. And so we take our children to the greatest children's professional And we say, well, that church over there has the best best children's program because they have the best professionals, and so they're going to teach our children. And these people over here have the best youth program, 
And so we're going to take them here so that they can raise and disciple our children. You think I'm crazy. I've been in student ministry long enough to have been told, I'm bringing my kids to you because you're going to help them. I want to help them. But I can't tell them to do A and you go back and say everything that he told you is wrong. It all comes back to the word of God being taught inside of our homes. Listen, you do not need to be a professional to open up God's word and to teach it to your children. Or maybe you say, well, it's good because I don't have kids. My kids are grown. You don't have to be a professional to love on your grandkids. You don't have to be a professional. Men, you're the only ones in the home. Great. How much are you reading God's word with your spouse? How much are you doing these things together? It's in your home. Listen, there is one of the greatest things, assets that I have in my parenting repertoire, if you will, is that I have loving, my kids have loving, godly grandparents who invest into my children. You say, I'm just a grandfather. I'm a grandmother. Great. There may be no greater responsibility than to love and to show your children God in and through your life. My kids are grown and raised. Awesome. There may be no greater responsibility than for your 35-year-old son or daughter to pick up the phone and for you to share with them the love of Christ in and through that conversation. They may need you more now than they ever did when they were 17, 18 years old. We read at the very beginning the statement that spoke of the generations. Listen, I believe that our goal, our, our whole thing should be that we are raising disciples. We are teaching children to point them to God. That should be multi-generational. That should be our goal. This is, I'm, I'm excited about this thought because this is some of my family. I am fortunate enough to have had grandparents who raised children, who raised me, who now am raising children to love God. I'm fortunate. Some of you didn't have that. You are the first of the generation to now teach your children, who Lord willing will one day teach their children. But here's, here's what it goes back to. We have to get serious and say, this must be in my home. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's word says that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The only way that you can understand scripture is having the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And if you have that, seek him. He will help you. It's not my job. It is not my job. It is not Dan's job to disciple your teenagers. It is your job to disciple teenagers, to disciple children, to disciple people. We want to come alongside. I want to encourage you. I want to share with you. Some of you are like, I've been in church three times. Awesome. I want to take you. Somebody needs to take you and disciple you and to show you all of the things that we're talking about. Yes, all of those things. However, what we're speaking of and what we're looking at, this, this has to be taught and taken back into the homes. 
God needs to be back. God has completely left our society. Sure he has. You know why? Because God has left our families. We must get back to that place where it's the word of God. We are not the Bible prose in that you just drop them off to us and that we can do that or whatever you might think in the back of your mind. And as we conclude today, I truly just want to make this practical. I believe that most of this has been somewhat practical for all of us. But as we look at the Word of God, I want to challenge you. I'll be so incredibly honest. I have been so convicted by reading these last, these last three weeks in my study. Because I look at where I should be better. Looking at this passage of Scripture and looking at these things... Listen, the Word of God is in our home. But man, I've been extremely convicted that I don't teach enough to my children the Word of God. I want to just challenge you. Men, maybe you're a single mother. Maybe your children are long gone. I don't know. I I don't mean this in a whatever way. I really don't care. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you in this. Will you take and assume the responsibility that this is your job to take and teach to your family. This is my job as the father, as the husband, as the head of my home. This is my job to teach my wife and my four children. That's my job. God's word said it. We looked at it last week. Part of my job as the man is that I would be a part of the growth process for my wife. The purifying process, part of that is coming through me. Will I take responsibility that this Bible that I hold in my hand or the Bible that you hold in your hand and you would say, I am taking responsibility. This is my responsibility that I will lead my family based on. And I'm grateful that I'm in a church that's going to stand according to the Word of God and they're going to help me. And if I have questions, we want to help you through those things. But this is not my responsibility as the pastor of Oasis to put it into your home. That is on you. And we just want to, we want to lift you up. We want to encourage you. I hope that you leave every Sunday being challenged in the Word of God, being encouraged in some way, shape, or form. But I want to challenge you more than ever. I want to encourage you more than ever that this is in your hands to lead your family. Would you take that challenge? You might even say, uh, ah, I've never really even read the Bible myself. Awesome. There's a great time to start. You know when it is? Now. Now, I don't know where to start. Let's figure it out. Ask me questions. I'll tell you right now. If you've never done this with your family, Proverbs, one proverb every day. There's a simple way. Go to the book of John. Go to the book of 1 John. There's a lot of different ways where you can just begin to read it. And you're like, but I don't know what to tell my kids. You know what's really cool about this whole family thing and this whole parenting thing? One of it is nobody knows what you're doing. None of it, did any of you really? You're like, yeah, I had this all planned out. I knew exactly what was going on. No, none of us really, 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 (laughs) here's the blueprint, I followed it perfectly. No, (laughs) none of us have. But here's what I've got to do. I've got to stay one step ahead of my kids. Right? I've got to stay one step ahead of my kids. You've already got one step. 
You're older than them. You've seen a bit more of life. You know what that step might be? I've never done that before. Awesome. Grab it. Go to Proverbs. What's today? The, what day is it? The 21st. Go to the 21st Proverb and read it and ask a couple questions to yourself and then go to your kids and be like, all right, we're going to read this today. And guess what they're going to do? They might ask you a question. What's the best teacher of teachers? Teaching. Teaching. You want to understand God's word? Start to teach it. You say, I'm not a teacher. That's okay. God didn't say every family member had to be a teacher. But God did say that it ought to be taught inside of our homes. So let's start it. Let's start it. Assume that responsibility. Assume that responsibility that this is my job. This is my job. Our homes are where the Bible is to be taught. It's our job. It's how God ordained it to be, that we as the church are the partner to you, the house, and we must strive for a biblical worldview, yes, but we also have to take it further. Because a biblical worldview kind of tells us some things that we are to do, ways in which we think. But if we know scriptures, then we understand why we do the things that we do. It's one thing for me to say, kids, you must obey your mom and dad, honor your parents. It's another thing for, the, for me to train them and to teach them what God's word says in honoring and why that is. That God set mom and dad over you, that God created this, that God did this, and then I go, oh, now I understand because it all comes back from God. It's not just me going, oh, well, I was just told that I'm to honor my parents. No, I'm going to show them, I'm going to teach them. There's two different things. You want them to do that, but you want the instruction that comes with it. It takes us kind of that next step, that next level. Let's not, let's not be that church. Let's not be that place where it's, it's the responsibility of somebody else. Take God's word. It's the source of wisdom. It's the source for righteousness. It's the source for hope. It's the word of God. It's what prepares us for life and in godly service in him. It conforms us to him, his image. It is the only thing that will change us from the inside out. Today, let me challenge you. Will you take the stance in your home? It's not just a matter of I'm going to say that God is one God. But I'm going to begin to act out that God is one God. And I'm going to begin to take it, and I'm going to begin to take it and make it serious for me that I and putting God in the forefront of everything that we do. And my schedule might change a little bit. Your children might get a little bit upset. But I'm going to say, God, you are first. And so how I budget time, if you will, God is here. How I budget finances, God is here. How I do everything, God is here. From there, everything else follows through. I don't have time, I'll promise you. You begin to put God first, God will figure out time. I don't have enough money to do this. I promise you, you put God first in your finances. I've, I've seen it a million times over, as many of you have. God begins, to, you, you go, how did I gave my tithe? How did this happen? 
There's not a way to comprehend it. God works in those ways. Why? Because when you're faithful to him, he is faithful to you. Times when we're not faithful, he's faithful. Would we make God number one? Would you say this morning to your family, to those that sit near you, hey, would you forgive me? Because I haven't taught and led in this manner the way that I should. And it's not going to be perfect. But our home, the word of God is going to be taught in our home. And I'm going to try this. You might say, I don't know how I could do this five, seven days a week. Awesome, don't. I'm going to go with two days a week. I'm going to start with three days a month, once a month. I don't know how you have to start it in your home. But you would say, we're going to take the kids. There's no kids. You and your spouse, whatever it is, and you're going to say, God's word is going to be taught, and it's going to be the foundation of my home. But I'm 75 years old, and we've never done that awesome, make the last however many years God gives you amazing according to God's word. It really doesn't matter. That's the great thing. The mercies are new every day. There's no better time to start than today. God is a forgiving God. He is a loving God. All He wants is you. And He wants you to guide and direct and lead your home according to this. Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info at oasislv.church.